The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest Provoke Media podcast. I am here with the two co-founders and partners of Rock Solutions, um, a public affairs firm that, that operates at the intersection of politics and communication. And joining me are Rodel Molyneux and Ron Bonjean. And delighted to have you here, guys. We are going to be talking about the current political situation in the United States and, of course, its implications for business and specifically its implications for public relations and corporate communications people. Um, I'm, I'm going to start with, um, we're recording this, the, the day after um, Sarah Palin lost the special election in Alaska in what I think it's fair to characterize as an upset. Um, it is the latest in, um, I think it's fair to call it a series now, of um, results that have gone slightly better than anticipated for Democrats who were widely expected to lose the House and were struggling to cling on to the Senate um, in the midterm elections. So I guess my first question has to be, you know, have predictions um, for the outcome of these upcoming elections shifted any, and have they shifted enough that Democrats should be more optimistic about the House than they were a little while ago? Um, Rodell, what's your take on that? Sure. I, I actually think, and, um, you know, Ron, uh, Ron and I talk about this a lot. Uh, this is, I think, an opportunity for me to say that, uh, I have been right, but um, but I, I'm joking. Um, I actually think that the that the dynamics haven't changed all, all that much. If we would have had this conversation three or four months ago, I would have said that due to to pure um, demography, uh, geographics, that the, how that the Republicans are going to win the House, and I believe that is still going to happen. Um, I believed that the Democrats had a good chance of keeping the Senate due to the strength of their candidates, uh, especially their incumbents, uh, the fact that we were going to have a, an opportunity to pick up a seat in Pennsylvania. So that hasn't changed. Now, I think the I think we have a little bit more breathing room than we had, say, three or four months ago. And then the third piece of this for me was that Democrats had a good opportunity to keep some of the gubernatorial, uh, uh, some of the governor seats, uh, especially Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, which will be important uh, for us in 2024. And that looks as though that is still on track as well. Uh, the What's happening in the House, once again, I do believe that Republicans still have the advantage there. But to my point, I think this is just degrees of variation, how many seats that they win. Um, it certainly does not look like it will be a blowout or a landslide, but I would be shocked if Republicans did not control the House uh, the day after the election in November. Okay, I, I, I should say that um, Rock Solutions is a pretty bipartisan outfit, I, I think it's fair to say. And um, Ron, do you have a different perspective on, um, on how this is going to play out? Yeah, no, thanks very much. It's great to be here, Paul. Um, I would have to say the Republicans are likely going to take the House. The trends are favoring them in that direction. There's just so many races 
that are leaning GOP in the House. There's no doubt that it's going to happen. Um, I think that how many seats they win is still up in the air. And I think this is going to switch week by week because things in uh, the American news cycle have a, have a tendency to uh, be absorbed rather quickly with another news event that then overtakes it. So where we are now is Republic, you know, what is the conventional wisdom is that, that Republicans may not win as many seats, but that could absolutely change the closer we could get, uh, or it could extremely, or it could be extremely narrow. So, so we're, we're in the tumultual period where we could have a few more surprises. It's interesting, uh, Rodell. You said you know you didn't think that the big picture had changed very much over the last two or three months. Does that does that mean that um, that we all overestimate the impact of? Well, first of all, the over the overturning of Roe versus Wade was supposed to energize um, a wave of of Democratic voters, and we have seen. Um, registrations of Democratic voters running ahead of Republicans, new registrations um, since then. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, the um, uh, the the quote unquote raid on Mar-a-Lago was supposed to energize um, Trump supporters who were outraged that he might actually be answerable to the rule of law. Um, and that was so, supposed to swing things back in the other direction. Um, do we do we overestimate the importance of those events because people are so entrenched, or do you just think that that there are so many pulls, pushes and pulls on each side that we've sort of ended up back where we were? I I, I agree with Ron on the premise that the uh, the news media has a way of shifting and changing and um, and. Uh, sharpening the narratives as it pertains to these races. You know, last year we were in the midst of a supply chain crisis. Uh, if you remember around uh, Christmas time last year, there were going to be no Christmas presents because we couldn't get anything off of the, uh, the shipping containers. That didn't happen. We've gone through this uh, period of rising prices, especially on gas prices. Now those prices are coming down. They're certainly not where they were um you know a year and a half ago but they they have come down from from some of the prices uh i think that the biggest thing that has changed over the last few months is that the 2022 election is now more of a choice and less of a referendum three or four months ago if we would have had this conversation this was all about president biden and the fact that democrats uh, controlled the house and the senate and uh things weren't looking great and you know to to the extent that we being democrats control the White House, the House, and the Senate, when things aren't going well, you look at the people in charge, and, and those are Democrats. I think that uh, Roe v. Wade has shifted that a little bit and has reminded voters that there are two parties with two completely different philosophies. And I think that has given some voters, uh, especially independent voters, pause. So this is no longer just about inflation and crime, where I think that Republicans would love for this for this election to be about. It, it's still about inflation and it's still about crime, but it's also about reproductive rights. I think it's about the rule of law. I think that there, there are just other issues that will be on voters' minds as they go to the to the ballot box in November. 
we could have a whole conversation about how the issue of crime and the issue of rule of law seem to be two entirely separate issues, depending on which side of the political aisle you're on. But I don't think <laughs> we have time. I don't think we have time for that in this particular format. Um, let, let's accept for a moment the, the premise that both of you agree with, which is that um, the House is is likely to, to flip um, and we're going to see a Republican House, um, that Democrats have a decent chance of holding on to the Senate and that obviously Joe Biden will still be president um, when all this is done. So what we're looking at um, is, is divided government um, for the first time in a little while. And I guess, I guess my questions around that are uh, from a business point of view, um, will the fact of a divided government be materially different from what we've seen over the last couple of years, given that, you know, even though it's a sort of 50-50 Senate and, and the v vice president obviously has the deciding vote there, you've had a couple of Democrats who have, on a lot of big issues, functioned as... as um, Sort of adjuncts to the Republican Party, so we haven't necessarily had the activist government that that people on the Democratic side would have liked to have seen. Will will an actual divided government be dramatically different from what we've seen in a couple of years? And how does business behave differently when faced with a with a divided government? Wrong. Yeah, no, great question. I think um, that that you know. Democrats were able to get several significant pieces of legislation done over this summer because they finally came together with the reality that the election was upon them and there was a lot enough pressure for them to act uh, rather fast. That's going to stop next year. Um, you know, if Republicans take over the Senate with divided government, you're going to have a stalemate where Republicans will be focused on their issues in the House passing pieces of legislation that will land over in the Senate and likely not receive the attention um, that Republicans would like to have. Um, but they will be more, the Republicans will be using the House as a messaging vehicle for 2024, really, as their foundation. President Biden will be forced to basically use his executive powers, issuing executive orders because nothing's really going to get through. Um, besides maybe funding the government uh, with the, you know, um, early next year uh, with um, threats of a government shutdown. But even then it could be very difficult and could stretch out. Um, so I don't see a lot happening there. However, I will say this, that, um, and we could, I'm sure we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Um, for businesses, they still need to be actively engaged in the public policy arena because while there are big pieces of legislation that may not move, there will be one, two, or three vehicles that will move eventually that have to do with functioning of the government. And those will get loaded up. Um, a, B, there are lots of other issues that... Um, that don't get attention in the news, that get attention in Congress that businesses really need to stay on top of. 
I mean, I, I, that, I, we should get to that in a second. I mean, I'm, I'm interested just because, you know, it's very easy listening to um, listening to Republican candidates to get the impression that, you know, day, day one in the House is basically just impeach everybody in sight, right? So impeach Fauci, impeach Garland, impeach Biden, uh, you know, let's just go crazy. Um, getting revenge for um, for the for the the sort of last couple of years of of the the Trump government, is there actually any kind of activist agenda underneath that 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 business should be focused on, or is it in fact as as you say, Ron, the the sort of day to day business of budgets and and reconciliation bills and you know that we we and that we deal with on an ongoing basis yeah. anyway. I think looking at it, um, they're going. There will be definitely a, a, a high level of oversight over the Biden administration, as you had alluded to. Um, but they're also going to to start pushing their agenda items, such as cutting taxes, spending, regulations. They're going to go after the IRS funding, funding eighty thousand new IRS employees. That's going to be a ripe a ripe issue. Um, they're going to go after big tech regarding the censorship issue and probably working on stripping them of Section 230 in the House. Um, border security, of course, they're going to want to rebuild, start building the wall again and re, uh, repealing Biden's immigration, um, you know, immigration uh, uh, moves. And, you know, um, another significant issue here is they're going to go after, and a lot of Republicans have been campaigning about this, they're going to go after wokeism, um, quote unquote. Um, so those are some of the things that, that are going to be focused on. I, I, I definitely want to come back to that issue of, of sort of wokeism. Um, I think we called it good manners when I was growing up. But anyway, I will come back to, to, to that issue of wokeism um, later, particularly since a lot of that activity is going to happen at the state level, I think, regardless of whether Republicans can do anything within the, the, the federal government. Um, but, but I am interested, you mentioned the tech issue, for example. Um, and that's an issue that sort of points um, to me, and, and maybe I'm behind the curve on this. Maybe maybe this is this has already happened, and it's old news to people like you who are down there in the nitty gritty of it on a day to day basis. But you know, I I came up in the U.S. in an environment where it was widely assumed that Republicans were the party of big business. Republicans were corporate friendly. Republicans were, you know, anti anti regulation and pro tax cuts for corporations and everything basically that CEOs and shareholders wanted. Um, but when you look at the the technology companies, as you mentioned, Ron. Um, when when you look at some of the, and, and we'll I guess we'll drift inevitably into wokeism because when you look at Republicans um, trying to um, trying to find sort of countermeasures for ESG initiatives and um, a sort of conscious capitalism, um, it's clearly no longer as black and white as it once was. That that you know. Republicans and, and corporate leaders are not nearly as closely aligned as they once were. Is, is that something new? Is it something that most corporate public affairs people and trade associations have already built into their thinking? Or is it something that they're going to have to come to terms with, um, you know, a few months from now? 
Um, I think. Oh, please go ahead, Riddell. Did you want to say something? Sure. Uh, I, I I would say that some some companies are a little bit ahead of the curve, and there are other companies that that that, that need to do some work on this. And I think that this has been a a slow boiling pot. I'd probably say starting in about 2018 or so, and has just gotten increasingly uh, and increasingly hotter for these for these companies. And let's separate them. The, the tech piece of this is is interesting because the the irony is is that. If Democrats and Republicans could put together, put aside their partisan differences, they actually could come up with legislation to rein in, and I say that quote unquote, tech companies. Uh, it's just that they have two very different reasons for wanting to do it. Democrats believe that some of these, especially the social media companies, are letting too much disinformation online. And to, to Ron's point before, Republicans think that there uh, is too much censorship, especially of conservative ideas and conservative uh, voices. But there's some overlap as far as um, there's some overlap as, as far as agreement on some of the, um, the competitiveness and antitrust nature of tech companies that Democrats and Republicans could likely get together on. But I'm not sure that they can put to get, put aside their partisan differences to come up with a bill uh, that would actually pass. I mean, right now we're looking at a piece of legislation in the in the Senate. Uh, it is uh, a legislation that is uh, sponsored by Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, and Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, Democrat from Minnesota. It's the closest that uh, there's a there's a companion bill over on the House side with uh, David Cicilline from Democrat from Rhode Island and Ken Buck, Republican from Colorado, uh, that this is the closest that Democrats and Republicans have ever gotten to crafting a piece of legislation that would hold uh, big tech accountable. And I'm not sure that it gets done this year. And this would be the year to do it. And I think that it gets harder and harder the closer that we get to, to, to an election. Doesn't mean that there will not be a lot of saber rattling. Doesn't mean that there won't be hearings and that the Republicans won't call these tech companies up for hearings. Uh, it does mean, however, that as far as legislatively, you know, big tech might might escape any, you know, um, any policy changes over the next couple of years. Are there um, are there any other sectors um, beyond technology that should be concerned about bipartisan um, agreement on issues that affect those industries? Um, uh, you know, typically, obviously, the the sort of hyper regulated industries, financial services, and energy, and the like, healthcare, um, are are the most visible in Washington. Is there anything coming down the pipe that impacts those sectors or in, in, impacts another sector that should be concerned right now? I think, you know, getting into the wokeism issue, if we could talk about that for just a second, because I think it's really important. I think that, you know, companies that have been expressing themselves that, you know, on these issues, Republicans are going to be looking at academia, media, technology, ESG. Um, and because they control the House of Representatives, they're gonna control the committees that make policy from finance, energy, labor, healthcare, you name it. So, and they have subpoena power to compel those CEOs and organizational leaders to testify before hearings that can be televised live. So 
you know, if I were a public relations consultant, you know, or, you know, an agency working for companies in those sectors, I will be preparing those clients for an aggressive approach from Republicans and how best to respond through crisis mitigation planning, social media listening, media training, all those kind of things need to be employed here because while Republicans will be looking backwards at some of the issues like, you know, on education, like critical race theory, or talking about, you know, in, investigating companies that prioritize ESG issues when investing in pensions, those kind of things. There are going to be issues that are going to pop up in the news cycle where Republicans will now have the power to make it more newsworthy than ever. So that's, I think that's the one thing that if I were to encourage people who are listening to this is really get ready for that because there are a lot of public relation firms that don't have public affairs components here you know, in Washington. Um, and obviously we're here to help. I, know, I think I think a lot of this can be traced back to the events at the very start of the year um, in Florida, right? Where, um, where you had this sort of um, new legislation, the, the quote unquote, don't say gay um, bill that came down that, um, you know, radically transformed what was being taught in, in Florida schools um, and seemed to be an assault on LGBTQ kids. Um, you had Disney sitting on the sidelines, um, sort of resolutely, at least at first, refusing to get involved. Um, and and apparently unconcerned about you know its values and the way in which they might clash with what was going on in Florida. And then you you saw this sort of complete 180 from Disney where they turned around and became um, you know the leading voice speaking out on on behalf of um, the kids on the receiving end uh, of what DeSantis was doing in Florida. And I think all of that seemed pretty pretty normal to me. I mean, I've been doing this long enough to have seen this around a hundred different issues over the years where corporations decided that their values were um, were important to them and wanted to get involved in you know issues ranging from abortion to um, to immigration. Um, and then you saw, very targeted, very specific um, attempts by the governor of Florida uh, to retaliate against Disney. And I'm not sure that I'd ever seen anything quite like that before. Um, you know, that, that sort of very specific targeting of a company because it exercised um, it, its free speech and, and um, used its marketing and communications expertise to advocate for a cause. Um, and I'm not sure I've ever seen the machinery of government employed in that way. Is that something dramatically different? And is that a genie that's out of the bottle now? Is that going to be the new normal for companies? Rodell? I I, I think that it is. And Paul, I would say that this goes back even one year before this. And I think I think where the seeds of this were truly uh, planted was uh, January 6th and beyond. 
where you had uh, where you had companies speaking out about January 6th, weighing in on um, President Biden being the duly elected president. Uh, then there was this this time of companies deciding whether or not that they were publicly deciding that they were not going to give money uh, in forms of contribution to elected officials who did not um, certify the election. Then right after that, there was the uh, voting rights debate in uh, Georgia and a couple of other in a couple of other states where companies started speaking out about against what they viewed as uh, voting rights legislation that would disenfranchise, especially people of color. And all of those things together led us to what happened with Disney. So I think that there was already a rift starting between some of these companies who were speaking out, whether they're speaking out because of their values or because of their employees or because of their customer base. And these uh, uh, these governors and these state legislatures and, the, and these federal legislatures that were like, what's happening here? We used to kind of be lockstep. You know, you did business. We took care of policy. Yeah, we, we took care of you on the tax side. You shut your mouth and 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 you reaped the rewards and let us go about it. And now you're you're challenging us at every turn. And that led us to what happened uh, with Disney. And listen, Governor DeSantis, I think, was the first person to say, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, we might not be a you know a multi-billion dollar company like Disney, but we're the state of Florida. And Republicans control the reins of uh, um, the reins of power there, and we're going to push back. And I think that's exactly what happened. And if if you're a company, I think that you need to really take a look at that because I think that there are going to be many imitations of that moving forward. If a company decides that they are going to speak out on a political uh, political issue, uh, and I think it's one of the reasons why over the last several years. Uh, Ron and I, working with our strategic partner, Steve Rockland at Impact ROI, have been counseling uh, Fortune 100s on how to respond to uh, to these social issues and, and how to really take stock of social risk within their within their company. Ron, is this is this. Um, business taking an unprecedented um, interest in issues that are outside of its um, traditional sphere of influence, or is this business is this government exercising an unprecedented or attempting to exercise an unprecedented degree of control over how CEOs and boards of directors run their companies? Yeah, great. That's a really great question. I would say that um, in terms of businesses, there's more of an expectation by uh, by um, the constituencies of a corporation, whether it's the employees, their suppliers, customers, that they play more of an active role in what's going on with society. There seems to be more pressures there for them to handle um, and and for them to address. And frankly, you know, according to various polls, you know, those who the person, people's employers are now the place where people trust the most, like institutions have degraded so much over the course of these years, that a person's place of employment now is the most trustworthy. Uh, so that's, there's that. And then um, the, 
in terms of government involvement, we're seeing much more of a populist tendency. This is not a conservative, these aren't conservative moves. This is a populist tendency for, um, for elected officials to jump in and say, hold on, what's going on here? So you have two different, you have two confluence of, of things happening and meeting at the same time. It's sort of like the force versus the movable object. When you have Disney saying, this is how we feel and this is the way we think we should do things, um, DeSantis says, well, uh, no one's gonna tell us what to do. So I'm gonna tell you what to do, so to speak. So you have this sort of back and forth, uh, if you will. And we're gonna see a lot more in that. That's why we invented uh, a thing called STAR, the Social Threat Assessment and Response. Um, you know, service here at Rock Solutions so that we can help companies really assess these threats, these social risks before they happen. Actually scenario planning and figuring out, you know, if something are, is to come on the radar screen, should they actually respond to it? Do they put out in a statement internally or externally? You know, how best do they navigate those waters? And uh, we've, we've, gotten in front of this well before this took off. Um, and, and this part of our business is going quite well. And we actually think there's going to be a lot of more of it come on next year. Yeah, that, and that's really that, that, that's really interesting to me because, I mean, as I watched the the Disney thing and, and the, the initial prevarication um, on Disney's part, it reminded me of, of a thing that happened 30 years ago with Dayton Hudson and Planned Parenthood and that sort of inability to decide, you know, should we be funding Planned Parenthood? Should we withdraw our funding? Do we want to piss off the religious right or do we want to, you know, piss off um, you know, women's health advocates and who, how do we make that decision? And it just seemed to me that in 30 years we haven't we haven't figured out, and I'm using a very collective we um, that obviously doesn't include you guys, but that business had not figured out how to put together um, a process and a framework for making those decisions. As you say, is this an issue in which we actually, we or our stakeholders have a valid interest? If it is, do we want to actively or you know, in some sort of passive way, support or, or um, get engaged with one side. Do we speak out on it or do we stay quiet? Do we take our own actions or do we um, just voice our support? And all of those things, you know, Disney seemed to be improvising and not very well. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that you've created a product to take people through that that process. I mean, I know others have tried to do something similar as well. Um, do, do you find that the companies um, have more of a more of a process than they did, or are they still coming to you at, with a you know create a framework for us essentially? I think that companies have the tools. It's just a matter of organizing them in the right way. And that's why they needed a process and a framework. Uh, you know, quite frankly, these decisions can't just be made at the C-suite level, which is oftentimes where they are made. I think th that there needs to be a, dis a discussion about how these, uh, whatever decision it is, how it affects the different business lines, how it affects internal and external stakeholders, uh, how it affects your government affairs function. You know, if you have 
if you, if you have your C-suite saying, we believe in this, and then the next day, uh, you have your government affairs folks going into a, uh, a legislator's office, and then they have to defend that issue, and then they haven't truly been read into why this decision has been made, it makes it harder for them as well. So what we've been able to do is sit down, it's a very thorough months long process of getting the right folks within a company together uh, from the different business lines, uh, different different parts of the companies, getting them out of their silos to make these decisions together and to buy into these decisions together. So whatever the decision is, and we do not make recommendations as to whether or not you, know, you should weigh in on this and weigh in on that. For us, it's about the process and about going through it, making sure all of the right people have been bought in to that process. And then when that decision is made, making sure that everyone's rowing in the same direction. Everybody is on the, uh, is has the same talking points and has explained to the employees, the suppliers, the other stakeholders that this is why we have made this decision. This is why we're speaking out. I'm, I'm yeah. really interested in, sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I was just going to say quickly, also that businesses that really manage social risks well have seen increases in their financial performance from increases in their share yeah. price of productivity to reductions in turnover. I mean, this isn't just navigating government, uh, you know, government oversight. This is, this is, it can be really helpful to them uh, overall. And so, you know, we're at a real transformative moment in businesses. Um, and I think our service provides their senior leadership that a CISO council, it needs to act in that kind of financial forward way too. Right. I mean, I, it, it is, it's really interesting to me that we are entering a realm, it seems, in which companies are going to have to choose between whether they or they're going to have to choose when they listen to their stakeholders, employees and consumers in particular, but also, you know, lots of people now within the financial community are advocating for greater environmental sustainability, social and governance awareness. Um, or whether they want to to you know listen to a very powerful stakeholder group in Washington and in the state capitals um, that maybe is pushing them heavily, you know, depending on the state, in the other direction. And I I, I wonder where all of this is going. Are we are we going to get to a point in a few years where companies essentially have to declare that they're either blue or red, that they are, you know, Democratic companies um, or Republican companies, that they are stakeholder companies or they are adjuncts of the Republican Party. That last one is probably a little unfair. But, I, you know, a I, I, company's going to have to um, pick a side. I, I listen. I I think that for 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 some companies there is a uh, have your cake and eat it too. They they certainly want to attract customers, and if speaking out on their values helps helps to attract those customers, then that's fine. But at the end of the day, these companies, and I think this is something that they should always go back to, whatever it is that they are doing. There needs to be a business reason for this. And I think that this is going to be extremely important for companies, especially over the next two years as they navigate a Republican House and more and increasing pressure from Republicans, uh, especially on this, especially on the ESG piece of it. There is this notion that, and this gets to the whole wokeism, and I hate, 
hate, hate that yeah. word, but there is this notion that these companies, these financial institutions, BlackRock, Goldman, JP Morgan are considering ESG analysis in their investments because they have somehow gone over to the to the left side. They're all completely blue. And that's just not the case. They're making it because they think that long term that they will make more money from themselves and their shareholders should they take these these considerations should, should uh into um into in, into account. The problem is is that the considerations that they're taking into account tend to uh minimize other constituencies on the Republican side, including fossil fuels, uh, sometimes gun manufacturers. And I think that's the, the situation that some of these companies are in. They're trying to make these long-term investments. And I think on the other side, you have Republicans saying, yeah, you're making these long-term investments, one, at the expense of other constituencies, and two, at the, at the short-term expense of shareholders. So I think it's going to be extremely important for companies to, uh, especially financial institutions, to have a clear plan on how they're going to communicate that their investment strategy is part of their overall business strategy and will actually lead to better outcomes for their shareholders long-term. Okay. I think we're um, probably coming to the end of our allotted time. Um, it's been a, it's been such a fun conversation. I feel like we didn't even talk about Black Lives Matter. We didn't even talk about Ukraine. We didn't even talk about sort of half a dozen other things that the companies um, have been wrestling with over the last couple of years that have sort of brought us to this place. Um, maybe we can come back and do that at a separate at a separate time. But but bringing the focus back to sort of what's what's going to happen in the the midterm elections and what happens immediately after that. Um, starting with you, Ron, I'll, I'll let you weigh in in a second, Rodell. But starting with you, what what's the sort of big advice that you're giving to corporate communications and public affairs people right now in terms of what they need to be sort of girding their loins for in three or four months time? Yeah, I think that um, you know, public relations agencies, they should be preparing uh, their clients uh, for a change in leadership in the house. It's gonna be a very different Washington and really starting to figure out the crisis, mitiga you know, crisis mitigation, um, where their vulnerabilities are, but also frankly, how do they talk to uh, new elected officials? How do they talk to a new majority? That's going to be super important. They've been used to communicating one way to Democrats who have been running the town. Well, now Republicans will be running part of the town. So figuring out how to navigate those waters, what they're most receptive to in terms of, you know, how you tell your company's story or your client's story. It's going to be really important. I would, uh, I think this is one of the reasons why Ron and I have worked so well and been able to build rock over the last seven years is that we agree much more than we disagree, regardless of our political affiliation. I completely agree with what Ron said, especially this last part. It was in 2018, when we started our social impact practice, it was built on the premise that you had a new uh, Congress coming in 
many of whom thought for one reason or other. Um, and it wasn't just, they, you saw this in their campaigns and they came in with this mindset that corporations were evil. I think corporations have spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. over the last few years uh, talking about their CSR and their ESG initiatives and, uh, and trying to make inroads uh, with the Democratic Congress. I think that they're going to have to do the same thing as new folks come in and there'll be more Republicans than that come in than Democrats. I think they're going to have to do the inverse having conversations with a new Republican majority about their business model, why their business model is good for uh, for, for America, for the, for the specific districts that these Republicans uh, represent. And then this, the last thing that I'd say is that I think the next two years will be contentious. They, they, they just will. The media loves conflict when you have it. There might not be a lot that gets done, but it'll certainly be interesting. And so that if you're a business that is doing work in Washington, D.C., how do you navigate that? How do you stay on the sidelines in a way that that, that you're not, that you don't become part of the, the food fight going back and forth between Democrats and Republicans? And you know, that's what we're counseling our clients on right now is how do you stay out of the fray and continue to diligently communicate to Congress your business needs uh, without getting into the to the the political and the partisan uh, back and forth. I, I always like to say it's like, you know, you want to have a productive conversation behind closed doors instead of under the hot lights during an oversight committee hearing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's great. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.